Good morning. I'm going to ask if you'll go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John. And uh, we're going to get digging on in here. And while you're doing that, I would like to ask you um, a a question that uh, just to get you thinking right off the bat. And uh, what does walking with God mean to you? When you think about that, walking with God, um, what image pops up? What thoughts, what feelings enter into your mind? And I'm going to go ahead and ask for some replies. Walking with God, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Somebody help me out. Garden of Eden. What was that? Like a father and a son. Okay? Like the Garden of Eden, walking with God in this great thing, like a friend. What else? Moving in his direction, not in my own. Is that because he's leading? Okay. Feeling his presence. Okay. Talking with him. One set of prints in the sand. I like that. And, and remember this thought in a little bit because um, we're going to come up against some of the false teachers who didn't think that that was possible. Being safe in scary places. Okay. I love this. Thank you for participating. You know, we can get all kinds of different pictures, right? Um, you, you can have a picture of walking hand in hand, or I get a picture walking hand in hand. You know, when uh, I was a little boy, uh, I also have a picture in my mind of my kids, all of them when they were little. And I also have a picture of Cooper walking with me. And Lil's right there. I got to kind of hold her there, but, you know, she's right there in that walking step. And, you know, um, so many different, you know, ideas and thoughts and places. I think of, you know, walking with Shirley on hikes. I, I think of being outdoors, experiencing God's beauty, his creation. You know, the idea that for me that kind of comes to my mind, and you guys have all enriched it and filled it in more, is, is like this fellowship with God. Just him and I. And I'd like to, uh, I'm going to look really quickly in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says this, um, uh, whoever claims to live in him, that's in God, in God's love, must Walk as Jesus did. Walk as Jesus did. Which basically means to obey what Jesus taught. To follow his example of complete obedience to God the Father. And also to lovingly serve others. That's, that's this whole kind of concept it eliminates so many other things, but in a nutshell, 
That's what walk as Jesus did conveys. First John could be outlined uh, very simply. And in fact, I started off uh, this message thinking I was, you know, the title of it is Walking with God, and then I was gonna just give the three points of, of what walking with God looks like. It looks like when we're walking in the light, as you look from chapters one to chapter two, and then walk in love, that's in chapter three through uh, chapter four, and then finally, uh, walk by faith. That's chapter five. And I thought it was gonna be all nice and pretty and tidy and clean and, and, and no, it's not. Uh, I'm not gonna try and cover the whole book because it's, it's just too much. In fact, I decided to just scratch the surface uh, on John's first point of walking with God. And that's uh, trying to unpack what it looks like to walk in the light. Uh, there's a difference between John's Gospels and the Epistles, and I happen to hold to the belief that the Apostle John did write these three letters. So I'm just, if, if you disagree with me, that's okay, but I'm going on that uh, presumption. Okay, I think uh, the language, there, there's just way too many things that show that this is from the same author, and uh, I happen to believe it was the Apostle John one of the sons of thunder. And uh, in John, in his gospel, in chapter 20, uh, verse 31, it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, John wrote his gospel for new believers or for those who are searching for, for truth. These were non-Christians who were seeking after the truth. And that was his audience. That's who he was writing to. But in the epistles, John is writing to uh, believers. And so we see this in, in John chapter 5, verse, verse uh, 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. When he wrote his gospel, it was to either brand new believers or those who still weren't Christians yet, they were seeking after the truth. But when he writes these epistles, these three letters, he is writing to believers. And he's uh, dealing with, with uh, basically um, one uh, Bible translation uh, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to like translate the Bible, but underneath the first, the, the epistle of 1 John, it says this, uh, a recall to fundamentals. A recall to fundamentals. Sometimes we want to skip those, right? We want something new. We want to be challenged by something new. And it's easy to forget Something that's old, that's basic, but it's true. And so um, the symbolism of light, man, there's so much to be able to talk about that, but metaphorically, okay, in scripture, metaphorically, um, you could say intellectually that uh, light is truth. 
and darkness is ignorance or error. So metaphorically, when we see that, that's, that's what we're gonna be looking at. That light is truth and darkness is error or it's just complete ignorance. But morally, light is purity. It expresses God's character. And darkness is evil and it expresses the character of sinful man. Intellectually, um, Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. So that's where we, we know that that's a metaphor. It helps us to, to understand these things. Same could be said in Proverbs chapter six, verse 23, or, or in 2 Peter chapter one, verse nine. I'll just turn back to there really quick. And, and in 2 Peter chapter one, verse 19, it says this, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb w- without blemish, oh, sorry, that was 1 Peter. It'd help if I was in the right, right book, right? Man. Uh, Yeah, close is not good enough. And we have the word of the prophets made certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So that that metaphor, it it helps us think about things uh, intellectually. But if, if we were to look back in, in John's gospel earlier on in chapter 12, John writes this, and, and it's, it's pretty cool, verses 35 and 36, he says this, then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. And then he, he goes on in verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. John Stott, in his commentary, he says, the effect of the light is not just to make men see but it's to enable them to walk. I'll read that again. The effect of the light is not just to make men see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. Love is insight. And, and I have to tell you, um, a lot of what I share today um, comes from, from his influence, John Stott's influence, and, and another man, Larry Richards' influence, and their insights into these passages. And so on occasion, or purpose, uh, to counter false teaching that uh, had crept into the churches from within, uh, these were John's children, right? Uh, believers, and he didn't want them to be led astray. When, when we see, you know, the different, in chapter two, verse one, my dear children. 
you just look at, at what he has to say and he's just like, oh, my children. These are his converts. These are believers in the churches, in the house churches throughout Ephesus and the surrounding region. They're believers, but you know what? This is toward the end of John's life. It's one of the, uh, one of the last books that were written right before the book of Revelation. And, and he's concerned because it's been years. Some say close to 60, 65 years since Jesus has died, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And John was a young guy then, but now he's old, he's lived a good life. And as he's writing and he's recalling um, all the things that he, he remembers about Jesus, he's reminding them to come back to the fundamentals. Because in that short period of time, false teachers have come on in and they've started leading the people astray. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23 says this. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, or deceivers. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. He goes on, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no one lies, no, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, verse 22? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son, and no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So when you hear that word Antichrist in here, just remember, it's talking about all the different Antichrists, all the different false teachers, all of them who are trying to say their own twist on the truth that John had given to them years and years earlier and continues to give to them. And so he's coming to, he, he's writing to them, he says, hey, you know what? I don't write to you because you don't know this truth. I'm writing to you because you do. And I really like that because that's a great reminder for us today, right? Because we can think, oh, I know the truth. Yeah, so did they. So did they. So it's a great reminder for us to be able to keep focusing back on the, the basic truths of who Jesus is, what he accomplished, how we have benefited, and how we are to walk like Jesus. And John, uh, later on in two chapters over, in chapter four, he writes this, Dear friends, uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, coming and even now is already in the world. The, the, the heresy that was going on, the twists. I love how Roger last week, when he put up there a, a quote from the Book of Mormon. It was great because he helped us to see, hey, there's some truth in here. But oh boy, was there some error, some lies, heresy. And, and God is holy and pure. There is no falseness in him. Amen? And so John is dealing with this, with these guys who are trying to come on in and, and lead people astray. They're taking some of the truth and adding a whole lot of their own stuff in on it. One uh, thought of the day is docetism. And the Greek word that comes out of that means to seem. To seem. And they held that Jesus was actually a spirit who only appeared or seemed to have a body. He casts no shadow, and, and I love when Carrie just said, you know, his footprints. They honestly believed he didn't leave footprints. He couldn't because he didn't have a real body. It was just some kind of image, aura. If I were to take that to modern day terms, maybe a ghost. And, and they believed that. And it's kind of easy for me to kind of ridicule that and say, man, how naive could you be? And yet how many people believe in just the same thing? And how many people today deny Jesus? It's incredible. But there's also another school of thought that was Gnosticism. So they have the uh, docetism, which is, just means to seem like he had a body. And, and the Gnostics, man, that, that Greek word, and I've talked to you about that before when we were first starting to go through the, the New Testament. Gnosis means knowledge. And they believe that all physical matter was evil. I mean, all physical matter was evil. The spirit was good, though. It was really good. And only those who were in the know had the special knowledge that was revealed to only them, only those people, the intellectually enlightened ones, um, could enjoy the benefits of religion. And, you know, the crazy thing about the Gnostics were is because all um, matter was evil, they said, hey, it doesn't matter about our bodies because it's all going to be in ruin anyway, so we can do whatever we want. They had a license to do anything they wanted. The morality was like not even there because it's just like, hey, just enjoy it. Enjoy everything I can get. Enjoy all the pleasure I can get. Whatever high I can get, anything. Because it doesn't matter because the body's just not gonna last and it's evil anyway. In some ways it kind of sounds good, right? In some ways. Both groups could not 
grasp believing in a savior who was fully human. It's kind of crazy to me. Um, you know, in our world, um, most of the time people can't grasp Jesus was God. But in this day, these people couldn't grasp God, he was human. Kind of crazy. So how did John answer these false teachers? Well, let, let's look at chapter one. In chapter one, verses one through three. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, you see this in verses one and three. He heard Jesus himself audibly. It says he saw Jesus optically with his own eyes. In verses one and two and three, in verse one, we have seen with our eyes. Verse two, we have seen it and testified to it. And in verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. It also shows us that his hands touched Jesus physically. This sets the stage for what he writes next because he's reminding his, his audience, these churches, it's like, hey, I'm not just telling you something that I, you know, I'm going by faith on. I talked with him. I ate with him. I spent time with him. I touched him. I heard him. I didn't know just about him. I knew him. That holds a lot of weight for now what he's going to enter into to be able to start um, uh, dissecting the, the, the errors that had gone on. And he had to deal with three errors that the false teachers tried to mislead believers in Jesus. And, and quite honestly, today, I might only get to two. I might even only get to one. Just gonna tell you flat out. But I'm not gonna apologize for that. Uh, John Stott said that these errors um, that the Apostle John addresses concern uh, the fact of one, sin in our conduct. Two, its origin in our nature. And three, its consequence in our relationship to God. Like I said, I, I, I know we're gonna get to one. I don't think we're getting to three and maybe we'll get to two. But uh, these are the misconceptions or the lies of men who want fellowship with God on easy terms. Don't you want that? I mean, it, I'm going to tell you, if I'm being honest, I'd want as easy terms as possible. I'd want that relationship if, if it's like, wow, I'm going to get all these benefits, but I don't have to really kind of put in a whole lot. I know a whole lot of men who, when they're dating, they have that mindset whether they want to admit it or not. 
right? It's like, hey, wow, yeah, this is great. Oh, yeah, I love spending time with her, and this is great. But, oh, I'll buy her flowers, oh, take her out on dates. Yeah, oh, come on, that's just too much. I want to I have my own time. I, wanna, I don't want to be encumbered by that. But then all of a sudden when they're lonely, it's like, oh, hey, baby, how you doing? <laughs> right? I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of like the mindset that, that, that I see. Easy terms. I've had students when I was a youth pastor who came to me and would give me God's word and said, you know what, Cooper? I can believe most of what's in here. And I said, really, most? Like they thought I was going to be like proud of them. <laughs> wow, you know? And so then I just, okay, and they said, yeah, but I just can't believe this. And I just can't believe this. It's not that they didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to put themselves in subjection to that. They didn't want, the bottom line, they didn't want to be obedient to what God was calling them to. And so that's why so many times, I mean, I've said before, I think, uh, I had one student who told me, you know, Cooper, I just want to get a D minus in Christianity. He's honest. Okay, he's honest. He goes, I want to I wanna be just just enough so that I'll have eternal life, but I don't want to miss out on a whole lot of things that this world has to offer. I don't want to look back on my life with regret that, oh man, I wish I would have done that, or wow, I, I, I don't have that many experiences. And that young man went through living hell. He did. Abused his body. It is a miracle he's alive. He attempted to take his own life. He was probably about as far in a pit as I've ever known somebody to be in. And the cool thing is is that God reached on down and lifted an arm up and he's now a worship pastor in the church over in the South Bay. If you would have asked me that 25 years ago, I would have told you, I'm sorry, but I just can't ever see that happening. But he went through an awful lot. But he wanted God on easy terms. Easy terms means uh, no consequences. Easy terms means I can do what I want, when I want, for whatever reason I want. But the first claim that, that I want to bring to your attention that, that John deals with in, in this passage is the false claim is the denial that sin breaks our fellowship with God. A denial, it's a false claim that sin breaks our fellowship with God. See, the, the, the false teachers of the day didn't, didn't think it would break fellowship with God. God's spirit, my body is not, uh, you know, it's evil, so I can do whatever, and, and, but God still loves me. I can live however I want because the spirit is all that's important. 
And this is claim is the assertion that we have fellowship with God while at the same time we walk. And when I say we walk, that means we habitually live in darkness. It means we give in to our body. I'm going to read verse 5 first again because it kind of sets a tone for for these verses of 6 and 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Boom, he sets the stage. Now comes this false claim that he's addressing. He says if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, yet habitually come back to sin, Look what he says. We lie and do not live by the truth. If we make such a claim, you guys, we are liars. Knowingly, deliberately lying. We not only contradict the truth of our words, but deny it by our inconsistent lives. In refuting this claim, Jesus now affirms a uh, 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 or John now affirms uh, a complementary uh, truth. So we look at verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, I gotta tell you, this, uh, on Friday, Um, I was playing over and over and over again an old song, over 20 years old. It was covered by DC Talk. It was written by Charlie Peacock. Incredible, incredible gifted writer. And then Toby Mack added on a few little lines to there, so it's credited they've both written it. But DC Talk, that song for me stands the test of time. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Oh, Lord, be my light and be my salvation. All I want is to be in the light. We have fellowship with one another here. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And also we see the blood of Jesus cleanses us or purifies us from all our sin. It it both forgives and erases or removes the stain of sin. What's clear is that if we walk in the light, God has made a provision to cleanse us from whatever sin which would damage our fellowship with him or with each other. One commentator noted, you know, you'd think that, that John would have written if we, we would have fellowship with him, right? But it says we have fellowship with one another. But uh, Larry Richard says we might sum up John's teaching this way. If the direction of your life is toward the source of light, you will find forgiveness for your failures and inadequacies. But if the direction of your life is toward darkness, then you may be sure you have nothing in common with God. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that statement. I I fully agree with it. And some people might say, Craig, you're awfully harsh on that. I I don't believe I am. 
because John is dealing with false teachers. He's talking about people who are knowingly, I'm, I'm habitually just gonna walk in the darkness. I can do what I want. Now, I feel incredibly sad for people who make that choice in our world today, but I cannot in good conscience and in honesty of a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ say that, oh, well, they're believers. I can't. Now, I'm not the judge. Everybody says amen to that, right? But I tell you, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to be able to, uh, to watch somebody who's habitually choosing darkness instead of light. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about someone who stumbles because we're, we're going to get into this. I'm going to make the second claim. How am I doing? All right. It's the denial that sin exists in our nature. There's the denial that sin even exists in our nature. Nature, um, You know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a stage worse than the first. It's basically saying we have no sin. I mean, in, in verse eight, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why does John write that? Because that's what the prevailing thought was. That's what the false teachers we're, we're sharing. That's how they were trying to lead people away from the truth. And so the believers were struggling. Saying, Wait, do we have sin or not sin? Uh, what's going on? Is that really even in our nature or not? And so John addresses it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now the very fact of sin is denied. And these men cannot benefit from the cleansing effects of the blood of Jesus. Why? Because they have no sin. The heretics are, are, are now saying that whatever their outward conduct may be, there is no sin inherent in their nature. Well, folks, that's not true to what we know Scripture tells us. Sin was a matter of flesh and did not touch or defile the spirit. That's what the false teachers were, were claiming. That's what they were holding on to. Whatever their exact pretension was, John just deals straight on with it. And to say that we have no sin means that we deceive ourselves. That is that we're self-deceived rather than deliberate liars. Big difference. And the truth is is not in us. You know, I wanted to, to read a, a, another quote from a commentator. He said, what is the reality of sin for the Christian? Great question. The simple fact is that while in his death Jesus dealt fully with sin, the sin nature within us is not eradicated. The ingrained responses still tug we still experience pride, lust, anger, hatred, and fear. The capacity to sin remains ours and will be an ever-present burden until we find our full release in resurrection. But the capacity to sin 
and even the temptation to sin are not really the issue in the Christian life. What is at issue are our choices. Our choices. While we can feel the old passion stirring, we also have a new appreciation for godliness. We want to be like Jesus. Now two sets of desires war within us and we have been given the freedom to choose. We can walk in the light and live in the radiant and the radiance that's shed by the living word. Or we can turn our backs and chase off into the darkness after the elusive pleasures of sin. The choices we make, not the temptations we experience, are what move us into darkness or into light. Well, what's the alternative? How can a sinful and sinning human maintain a joyful and a comfortable relationship with holy God? Well, that's where we look at verse nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The basis of our fellowship with God is not our sinlessness but it's his forgiveness. I wanna close, and, and I've been given permission to share this, because, uh, man, I, I just thought it was pretty incredible. I've had the pleasure of knowing somebody in our church who's been coming here, um, man, uh, since last Easter. And he and his family started coming because friends of theirs stepped out in faith and invited them to come to an Easter service 13 months ago. And they started coming. And uh, they stayed. And then uh, last September, this individual asked me if I'd be willing to meet with him because he had questions. And we met and he shared with me his story and he shared how not only that the Ram family had invited him and his family to come here, but also his boss. His boss has been a tremendous model to him of what a Christian looks like. And, and he said, I wanna know more about Jesus. I said, no, I don't have time for you, man. There's not a chance. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, let's meet. So we met uh, almost every Friday in the morning. And uh, man, he would come with questions that just blew my mind. He was writing notes. He was asking things. And, I mean, he was hungering. And I'm thinking, man, this is phenomenal. And then we had to stop meeting because he was back at work on Fridays. This is in January. He still comes here almost every Sunday. And he texts me this past week on Thursday night. And he said, are you available to meet by chance tomorrow? Breakfast, coffee, lunch, on me. And I was just like, man, could this be? 
Because throughout our whole time, I told him, I'm not going to try to twist your arm. I'm not going to try to pressure you. I want to make sure that, that Jesus is going to be doing the prompting. Not some pastor who's, you know, trying like, come on, man, come on, you can do this. Come on, just take that step. And he had told me he appreciated that. And so I got back to him. I said, yep, yep, let's meet. We met on Friday. We were catching up, and I just said, man, how's your, how's your spiritual journey? He said, I've been trying to catch you on Sundays after the service, but you're always too busy with people and going running around and doing all this stuff. And I'm kind of looking at him, and he's just like, I, I, I want Jesus. And I said, okay. He goes, so how do I do this? So we prayed a prayer. And it reflected his heart. And uh, on Friday, we got a new brother in Christ. And um, I had to narrow my message today down to this passage because this passage is my go-to passage for myself. When I'm struggling, there's times I try to run from God and I'm running from because I don't want to go to this passage. And yet each time, I mean each time, God brings me back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us. And you know what? I, I shared that scripture with him. And we, we prayed that. I wanted him to understand that he's not going to be perfect, that he's going to stumble, he's going to fall. But he's no longer going to be uh, running toward darkness, away from God. Now he can start running Toward Jesus each day, and if he stumbles or if he falls, like he will, like all the rest of us, he knows that all he has to do is come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and make it, don't let it linger and stay with him, but he can go right to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And so that's why, I, you know what? I couldn't get away from this passage today. And I, I'm super excited and I'm thankful. Corey. So proud of you, man. Amen. So, you know what? Um, so many different kind of takeaways, but one, I think wherever you're at, if you're in the home, Remember that your kids are watching you. They're watching you. If you're in the workplace, your coworkers are watching you. Your boss is watching you. And if you're a leader, a boss, all those under you are watching you and your behavior. Don't underestimate the power the power that you have through Jesus Christ to have a positive impact and influence on somebody, not just so that they can have a good day, but 
potentially that they can come and enter into the family. Don't underestimate that. Because it's huge. In all of our relationships, whether we're young or old, let's, let's walk with God. Let's walk with Jesus. And let's learn from him about what it means to be walking in the light and not, not get sidetracked and go chasing after what's in the darkness. You guys know it just doesn't fulfill. And I'm so excited to be able to say, you know, our, our mission statement, unconditionally accepting people where they are while encouraging a transforming life in Christ. Corey's just an example of so many of you. Okay, where he's at. Just going to love him where he's at. And hoping and praying and, and just trying to help him to see, man, what a relationship with Jesus is and now how Jesus is transforming his heart, just like he's transforming yours and mine. It's not a one and done deal, folks. It's a continual, the rest of our life, transformation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and your, gosh. Thank you for just breathing your word into John and for him to articulate and attack the false claims, the lies of his day and, and they are still real today for us. So Father, may we look at your word fresh for those of us who have been just trying to fake it. Lord, can, can you just help them, lead them to deal with it? It's your timing, not ours. And I would just pray that each one of us can walk toward the light and quit hiding in the darkness. You are faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the blood that Jesus shed and paid the price. Lord, I thank you for the decision that Corey made and the decision that so many in this room have made over the course of their life. And I want to lift up those who haven't made that choice yet. That they too would, would start to walk toward the light so that they can enjoy eternal fellowship with you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.